blood them in games. Like Tom Ahern is going to be the new Paul O'Connell in my feelings. And there hasn't been anyone close to him really since those days. Like no trophy since 2011. It's, it's just not good enough for Munster Rugby. I'm sorry. Joe presents House of Rugby. United Rugby Championship. Together with Bank of Ireland. Proud supporter of the four Irish provinces. Hello and welcome back to House of Rugby together with Bank of Ireland. I'm joined by the lovely Lindsay Peet, of course, former Leinster and Ireland superstar rugby player. And also beside her is legend of the game as well in his own right. Leinster, former Leinster player, Benetton and Italy out half, Ian McGinley. You're both very welcome on the pod, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, great nice, to have you. My nice second date, isn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm punching. Yeah, I'm uh, absolutely punching, absolutely but not. like, don't worry about third wheeling, okay? Sorry, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine over here. Away from me too on your second date. How good yeah. do we look though? Look. Yeah. yeah we colour coordinated with the green. Yeah. I didn't get the memo. Well, we didn't yeah. want you to get the memo. That's the whole point. <laughs> well, Ian, we had you on last year and we have you on again um, this year, obviously, to talk about your book. But first of all, I just want to check in with Lindsay, make sure she's okay. Mm-hmm. How was your weekend? You were playing a match? I had a great weekend. Yeah, we spent the weekend. Uh, me and the boy went up to Galway Friday, stayed with Ailsa Hughes, our, half, our scrum half. And then we went to Toro Pet Farm and then we went on and I had a, ma- a match against Galwegians. We How'd it go? 57-7. 57-7. Uh, yeah, Galwegians are a good side, they're a tough side, the body is feeling it now, second day of recovery, so yeah, good on match, we played well, um, yeah. but yeah, it was kind of a tough, hell. it's always a tough place to go now, thankfully it didn't rain, it rained every side, each side of the kickoff time, but it didn't rain that for the two hours that we played, so. And playing Galwegians? Played Norwegians, yeah. um, I was hoping kind of like my usual stint in front row and then maybe be promoted to the back row, but that didn't happen, like. <laughs> but I played 80 minutes, so happy out, no tries, tries but no, sp- I, no, I would hope I have involvement in setting up a few, but <laughs> listen, I actually run the length of the pitch for a prop, I did kind of the Jerry, Jeremy Lockman, I was kind of like, you know, yeah. hoping for some loose balls to get some, you know, <laughs> tries, but no. But look, a great team performance, good win, and well, congratulations. Good to the stuff, girls. congrats. Well, but it sounds like we might get you out of retirement, so you're playing every week in, week Listen, out. Listen, I will keep that exclusive for this podcast. So you watch this space. Ooh, <laughs> there's coming up. We never know. You heard it here first. Um, another man that probably won't be coming out of retirement is Ian McGinley. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good, yeah. I yeah. uh, don't think I'll be coming out of retirement. I'm sort of at peace uh, with that decision. So, yeah, no, all good. So, delighted no, to be good. here. You're still coaching away with Railway, right? Uh, right, yeah, Rainy. Oh, rainy boys, yeah, up north. So, uh, no, we play in uh, the AAL2B. So, it's, uh, yeah, we were in Sligo a couple of weeks ago. Pretty much the same as, as yeah. you. It didn't rain for the couple of hours we were playing. So, you get you get the glamour fixtures, but it's, no, it's good being in grassroots rugby and, you know, enjoyable. Yeah, you're enjoying it. Is that kind of the full-time gig now, coaching away? Yeah, with uh, well, part-time, I do a couple of things uh, apart from that. But just in terms of the rugby, yeah, that's what I would do at the moment and would hope to get involved in a few more things going forward. But just sort of young family, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a nice time just having that, that on the side to do. But uh, now you're learning lots. Like I'm head coach and it's sort of, strange uh talking to lads who are maybe similar age to you or a year below you they might not necessarily listen to you the whole time but uh yeah. no, it's good and lads hopefully enjoy it and uh, get out each week for training and, and games and that sort of thing so it's good yeah you're in 2b is that what you said yeah 2b yeah, yeah. And how, so, how are you getting on are you okay in yeah week? i think we've, well, we've played three games we lost two very narrowly the first two so a bit of pressure i think if it was in the the football game would be fired at this stage, so. <laughs> but we, we won there last week against uh, Sligo in the movie game this weekend. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed all goes well. Nice one. You're busy Can I man. ask a question now? You seem very chill guy. Okay. Right. It's a, it's a, fr- it's a front. Is it? Well, this went my question because I've started to very like minutely, you know, try to, you know, coach in the, you know, scrum at railway and, and the front row. But like I find myself like 
going over my head like could I have done things better and like last week we were playing and I went to six so I was like coaching our tie head but like I send voice notes to players do you do that like kind of like yeah we try not I try not to overload them because they're you know working the whole time yeah <laughs> and but you know which guys sort of appreciate feedback uh, okay. so you would send you know maybe a video or you know explain in a situation and what could you maybe do differently yeah, yeah, here yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing so um yeah i would i wouldn't okay. go overboard i wouldn't you know you're I'm not so like me the overthinker going okay now no, uh, and i'm sorry for how i spoke to you with that well it's funny like when i played the morning after like i would never sleep the night of the game. Uh, well of the game and even then when you played the game yeah. you know or if you did you'd be up so early in the morning just because things are going through your mind it's exactly the same when you coach even yeah. if it's you know maybe not to the same level just you're going through things like yeah it's a different isn't it it's oh. a different thought process because now you're not only controlling your own game and how you kind of like and i'm sure as a like a 10 and, a, and an, like a, a center you're kind of always in that thing you're like you're central to the brains of the, t the operation of the teams yeah. but even for front row because it's so specialized and like it's so hard to teach and like you can only teach it like really by learning really tough games and we'll cover it later on in the pod with kind of jeremy lockman moving from loose to tie like yeah, I find such responsibility, not now only my own game, but now trying to feed these young players in a specialised position. Like, so, yeah, I was wondering, are you the same as me and you're kind of overloading them? Especially when you lose. Like, oh, you stop. just say you go through things in your in, yeah. your, in your mind. I don't think that'll ever, change ever change. Yeah, that's yeah. just the, the, the way I'm sort of programmed. But, uh, yeah. And as head coach, you just look after the backs because that's your position or would you kind of feed with your forwards coach or how do you run that one? So, I'm lucky this year. Um, last year was maybe a bit different. We didn't have as many coaches, but thankfully we have a really good coaching setup okay, where good. we have sort of everyone distributed in their own areas. But then it's sort of a balancing act because nowadays you can have coaches specialized in the, know. you know the, the a micro area which you know is probably too much information at yeah. club level so no we've got everyone across the board and i would we've got two coaches three coaches that can can do the backs and Great. we sort of rotate between us and then i would deal with sort of the attack and the, the joys of picking the team and having That's those conversations yeah. with people uh so you're the you're That's the, the go-to person yeah. yeah yeah and you enjoy the coaching that's kind of like the long-term plan for you is to go further on into coaching yeah i would love to it's uh we all know it's a fairly tough industry you know you sort of don't know where you're mm. you are necessarily from year to year um so my family are probably prepared <laughs> to know that there might be a bit of traveling in the future but uh of course yeah, yeah like i mean I, I love it apart from playing it, it is the closest that you can get uh, and that sort of gives you the rush but it's it's totally different it, mm. it really is you're you're somewhat detached from the team even though you're fully involved uh, in sort of the, the, the running of it and i suppose if you just go up the professional ranks it's just amplified so much more but no i love it just like dealing with people and yeah. hopefully helping people progress in their career an element of coaching that i've always kind of been interested to ask people that have gone from playing professionally into coaching and i know the likes of felix jones said it to me and jerry flannery i know i said it that the demand of coaching is nearly more intense than when they were playing because obviously when you're playing you just concentrate on yourself but now that you're coaching you have to have concern for an entire squad and dropping players picking players you mentioned there do you find like you're doing more analysis and more work now than when you actually played yeah, my level is not at, at uh, where those lads are. You know, Felix and Jerry have obviously gone on to do unbelievable things already, you know. Um, so it's it's what I'm doing is on a smaller scale, but um, it's, it, somewhere, yeah. it's it is very much like intense, like in in the sense of you, you have to deal. I remember Roger, I think, said a while ago as well, you almost have to deal with the guys that aren't playing uh, in, in, in a better manner than the ones that are starting because they're the important people that sort of keep the whole team going and, you know, still doing the trainings and all that. So it's almost actually putting energy into the guys that aren't 
you know, starting all the time and trying to give them reassurances, you know, that you'll you know, try to keep it realistic, but also reassure, you know, to be uh, have that re uh, reassurance at, yeah. the, at the same time. But it, I'd imagine, you know, at professional level, you're you're just you have to watch so much rugby. You of know, course, you just see the, the video analysis, if, if players are questioning, why aren't you playing? You need to you need to know the exact stats. You need to know yeah. the exact reasons <laughs> and they have to be valid reasons. Um, you know, even for reports on referees and all that sort of stuff, you need to know exactly what's going on. So, yeah, yeah 100% it would be 10 times more uh, intense. Yeah. But at least you can that. quantify that at a professional level. Like, so the lads can, you know, at least you can quantify to a player like, and we've all been there where you got to go, oh, okay, like for me, oh, we didn't make as much rocks like your handling errors, you, you, your penalties at scrum time. So at least there's some bit of backing. But like, I can only imagine for you, with the level you're coaching now, and obviously you have aspirations, I'm sure, to go forward, but like to try and motivate a club team and then, you know, boy, like lads who are in and out for you and you're trying to progress them on in the technical side of the game, like that's hard, like because you're kind of juggling a lot of facets of the human nature, like even mm -hmm. like, like I find the emotion, like what motivated me for a game, I now have young people who need to be talking to a lot more softly mm -hmm. and, you know, you have to be really gentle with them and, then you're trying to remember that it's a club game and they're here for different reasons than you are. Like, so there's just so many dynamics to the, to, I would think, to the level you're coaching right now. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's finding out what those yeah. reasons are. Some, some people would have different reasons. I mean, we all have our reasons yeah. for playing and particularly at club rugby, some people would have different reasons. Um, I have a huge amount of respect, not only to my team and the, the players that come and train, but to all club teams, you yeah. know trying to you know get out and whatever two three nights a week whatever it may be and then you, you've got your AIL you know traveling all around Ireland uh, you know leaving on a Friday evening going yeah. down to Cork you know I'm based up in Northern Ireland so even to get to Galway is you know four and a half hours it's not a you know it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not easy we're taking the back roads all the way you know it's not just straight M50 you're not a little flight over <laughs> no you know so firstly you have to have the utmost of respect for people that are going out and doing mm -hmm. it and giving their best and uh, it's just trying to realize everyone is there for maybe a different reason, but trying to align it that you, you know, you've got a common sort of interest and goal uh, yeah. for doing it. So that that's been sort of the biggest challenge is going um, going from professional back into club. Yes. Even though I've played club rugby when I was here in Ireland, you know, you do remember it and all that sort of stuff. But it's they they are two completely different worlds, yeah. and just trying to align some of the things you learned from professional rugby and with the club stuff has been the biggest challenge yeah yeah well i definitely jump on that as well i have the utmost respect for anyone that's involved in the club rugby in ireland obviously yeah. i only know the irish system i presume it's the same worldwide in mm -hmm. italy where you are mm -hmm. but like it's such a commitment it's every tuesday thursday and one game on the weekend minimum mm -hmm. and you're not getting paid to do it and lads no. are going to want a gym or women are going to want a gym as yeah. well and then the coaches have all the analysis to do and they're all doing it for free yeah. i'm just like it's such an incredible shift. And then, as you said, if you're living up the north and if you're not in 1A, where most of the games are in Dublin, you might have to drive to Sligo or Cork mm -hmm. or something. And this is, I just think it's amazing. Like, I haven't gone back into club rugby because I was like, I don't have the time to do it. So, mm -hmm. and seeing you going back, like, yeah. do you find it like such a commitment? It is, but I have to say, and uh, I have to commend Ray, like, they feed us now on a Tuesday, Thursday. Now, the amount of pressure that takes off me alone, like, if you're going, say, you know, like with a young family, like mm -hmm. I could go straight from work to train and I try and gym before my training. So you're kind of gymming, doing your pitch session and then I can have like grub. And then to be fair to Noel and Susan, shout out to them who mm -hmm. feed us. You know, if I bring a lunchbox, I try and bring my lunch for next day. So you're kind mm -hmm. of you're trying to always stay a step ahead. And, but to be fed and even like that's you just have to share and go to bed. Like so we talk about recovery and yet like for some club players, like you're going home. And I remember even playing internationally, you're going home, you're trying to 
pack a bag the next day, you're trying to get your lunch, you're trying to balance your nutrition, you're trying to get your recovery and your sleep. You're trying to like help raise a family and, and be part of a household. So like shout out to everyone. Like it's it's tough, like it is tough. And some clubs are running a little better and some clubs. And if you don't have the volunteers or the finances, it just makes life more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so big shout out to all the clubs. We do see it. We're we're right behind you. And if I can take opportunity to say hello to those players in Scarif, a little club in Clare. Uh, one of the girls' boyfriends plays and he asked for a shout out on the pod. So we're going to give a shout out to a little club team in Yeah, no, 100%. And that's why I think down the line it is why the Irish teams are doing so well because yeah. our under underbody systems are so good. And we have people like Ian McGinley coming back and coaching in 2B like and helping these yeah. people to come up the ranks. So shout out to everyone because I, th- I just think it's amazing because I've been in it and out of it and I'm just like, it's such a commitment. So well done to everyone. Keep it up. Um, but we could talk about that all day. What I do really want to get on to is Ian McGinley's new book. It's called Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption. And well, I'm just going to read the foreword, which is by the very special uh, Johnny Sexton. So I'm going to read that first and then we'll, we'll talk about the book. So um, this is just on the inside of the cover. And Johnny says, what Ian achieved was truly groundbreaking. He paved the way for every other player who needs goggles to play rugby. He won a battle with himself to play the game, but also a battle for all those who might one day dream of following him. From start to finish, you couldn't have made up his story. So from... Johnny Sexton, to, to write that, it obviously means a lot to you, I'd say, does it? Yeah, a huge amount. I mean, you can't get a more important figure in Irish rugby over the past 20 years. You know, I think there's there's the talk now of the battle between him and O'Driscoll, who's, you know, probably the greatest modern day player. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to have played with, with him, trained with him, played against him. Um, and, you know, to have him, uh, Jerry Thornley as well, who's obviously a very accomplished writer and with the Irish Times to to help with the book is is amazing. So, uh, no, really enjoyed the process, and I really hope people, uh, whoever does, pick up a copy that they they enjoy it. Yeah, well, these lads like likes of Jerry Thorny writing, like he's only done a handful of books. I don't think mm-hmm. he even wants to write anymore. Like, so it just shows how amazing your story is and how your career has developed over time. And I could read the back of what Jerry's wrote, but it's probably better to come from you of what exactly like. Would someone get out of reading the book yet? I haven't got a chance to talk yeah, into it worry. yet, but yeah, there's plenty of time. Christmas yeah. time there. <laughs> Christmas time's coming up. <laughs> on the yeah. 25th, yeah. But like, what a unique but, story this is going to be. Like, there's no no book out there like it. Yeah, I, I suppose for uh, my friends are sick and tired of hearing the story, but I'll I'll reach out to the people that maybe don't know my story. So definitely, yeah. ultimately, um, I'm now a retired um, visually impaired rugby player. Now I wasn't born uh, with a visual impairment, but. I grew up in Ireland and played in uh, for Leinster and UCD was my uh, university team and just playing a club game and a teammate stood on my face and burst my eyeball and oh. complications developed, which led to um, ultimately losing sight in my left eye due to detached retina. So retired, moved over to Italy uh, where I coached, um, but there was always sort of the burning desire. Uh, Lindsay's talking about going back and playing potentially, you know, uh, we'll keep that. We'll keep that quiet. <laughs> you know, me at retiring at 21, you know, just it was way too soon. And you just want to, you, yeah, you want to, you want to achieve things in life and rugby and that's sort of what you're defined as, uh, defined by. So, um, yeah, decided uh, to, investigate whether there was rugby eye protection uh, around and just hounded the correct people hounded uh, the IRB as they were known at the time now world rugby and eventually rugby goggles uh, became available 
And because I lived in Italy uh, and hadn't played for the Irish national team, I did underage uh, mm. up to under 20 level. You're being was, very modest. I'm just going to jump in there very quickly. On the back of the book, it says that the young Floy Half was one of Ireland's hottest rugby prospects before obviously this accident happening. So you're, <laughs> you're on the route to be Johnny Sexton. So, uh. Well, I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen. Like you just you never know what life is going to throw at you. The path was going in the right direction. You know, you played my first game for Leinster when I was 19. So a few months out of school, you're fortunate enough to captain a game with the Irish under 20s while Peter O'Mahony was out injured and mm-hmm. things like that. So you're within a group of players that are, you know, a good group of players. So you're on the right path. Yeah. yeah. But again, you just don't know what what could have happened. But yeah, that, that happened to me and uh, thankfully picked up the goggles and became eligible for Italy and played uh, international rugby for about three years and now uh, I'm 32 I retired for the second time I was 31 <laughs> um, you know most people only have to do it once but I decided to do it twice but yeah. um, retiring first at 21 I wasn't at peace with it was angry now that I'm 31 I'm at peace I uh, was able to experience uh, the game at sort of the highest level and got to experience things that I didn't have previously so I'm very much at peace so doing actually this process was very therapeutic that's amazing man that you're like so content and you ju- you finally itched that itch that you knew you could get to the top level and you did it with only 50% of your eyesight yes well yeah one I mean yeah zero percent eyesight in my left and then the goggles would have made it a bit more tricky uh, just because the certain padding which was 10 degrees less and certain weather conditions were not favorable so so if you had I to think, put like a figure on it for someone listening now how difficult was it actually to see uh well like if you were playing in rainy conditions uh it would be like driving the car without the windscreen wipers you know so you'd constantly have to <laughs> wipe away so that's why you just call the fours around the corner or do a box <laughs> kick off nine so you didn't have to do that much but the uh, thing is like it's not like you're play- no offense it's not like you're playing at front row you're just gonna like put power through someone you don't really need to be able to see you're playing a 10 you need to look at the whole pitch like yeah that is where you rely on you know good communication from your your mates and that sort of thing or my mum would always joke whenever she would watch me play it looked like I had you know uh, a fly in flying around my goggles because I was just your head moving constantly because you had to look you know if you had blind spots or you couldn't necessarily see something so but you adapt you know you do adapt so I think what I would hope people would get from the story is that yes there is a rugby element to it but there's a bigger uh, there's a bigger uh, theme to it in terms of sort of resilience and not giving up and, and family helping me if it wasn't for my family really wouldn't know where I'd be and and the biggest thing out of all of it for all visually impaired people they can use these goggles as as my the latest figure I had was around two and a half thousand worldwide are, wow. are using the the goggles. So um hopefully for people that need it, they continue and that's sort of been the biggest yeah. success out of the whole thing. So I, I hope for those reasons people pick it up and, well, definitely. and enjoy it. Yeah. I think like I've me and Lindsay are both uh, well in the rugby world, but what you've done is bigger than rugby, I feel like it doesn't just apply to rugby, which is a contact sport. There's all these sports all over the world that can now look at rugby and be like, oh, you can play with goggles. Mm-hmm. And I know even in my own family, my younger cousin, I think I told you last year yeah. that he same again, he, he's a really bad eye problem and both retinas. I don't know the exact medical mm-hmm. term, but he can, he's basically blind and he mm-hmm. had to wear goggles as well. He, had, he was told he had to retire mm-hmm. and saw the likes of you wearing goggles and he like went down the path and wore them. Then he, pl- mm-hmm. he plays currently now. Mm-hmm. Um, f- so it's just like incredible for people like that, that you probably wouldn't see that, the trickle down effect that you have for young fellas. Yeah, well, it's been amazing the messages that you do get and you actually realize how many people have a visual impairment or know someone with a visual impairment and have gotten involved in projects that are probably if this didn't happen you probably wouldn't have got involved with so um that's been the the other side of it and, and rugby's all about we t- you know buzzword inclusion you know yeah. and and there wasn't something that was being catered for 
for visually impaired people. So this is just something that can be added if you need it and experience the game because obviously rugby can get a bad rep with the concussion at the higher level. And, you know, we talk about professional sport and or the professional side of it, which is a very small percentage, mm. really. I yeah. mean, I'm glad we've spoken a little bit about the club stuff because that's the grassroots element. The majority of people that play, they play for enjoyment and, you know, yeah. to be included in the community and all this. And and if you do have a visual impairment now, you have something that you can use to, to help you yeah. uh, play the sport. I love it. Actually, I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's just like no excuses from you. You're just like, I want to play. I'm going to make it happen. Oh, uh, well, I was fairly <laughs> stubborn, you know, like... When you're young, you're you're finding out who you are, you know, mm. and I just like, honestly, I do remember as a kid, like that is just what I wanted to do. It was just play rugby. That's all. <laughs> I'm probably not a good advocate for people having, you know, many uh, options in life. Uh, and rugby is probably not the best thing because, you know, when you're, you know, in your 30s, mid 30s, you know, uh, obviously Lindsay's a freak. In terms of <laughs> still going. Listen, <laughs> but, I'll take it. You know. Uh, it's uh, it's just what I wanted to do and, and I wanted to experience it. And if you don't want to leave any unstone unturned, yeah. then you'd always regret if you didn't push things to the max, um, which is what we had to do. And constant training with the goggles, constant um, understanding of different floodlights mm. and how different advertising on the side might affect the goggles and all this sort of stuff. So every place mm. that you went to was was different um, and you place so, kicked as well like so like yeah, looking up into probably the not very well <laughs> yeah <laughs> you did internationally well. and i'd say looking up at the post and there's lights in your way like shining off your goggles and stuff like things that we wouldn't even think about like rugby is hard enough as it is and then you're doing it with all that man like it's just and you're very modest about it i just think it's incredible yeah, and, and like obviously this is technically going to be seen by some people as a rugby book but i think it's more than a rugby book like if someone could pick this up and give it to their child that might have like I know, for instance, Jodie Ellensley, she plays for England. She's mm. deaf. Like, it's it's not just because you're blind in one eye. Like, people might have some impairments. Like, they might only have, I don't know, one limb or something like that. And mm. you're just like, all right, suck it up. That's the de- card you've been dealt. Now, let's go. Let's get it done. And people like you and Jodie Ellensley, which is just incredible. Like, mm. so I think people don't look at it as just a rugby book. Look at it as in, like, a get your shit together and you can do it if you really want to do it. Would you say it's more so that? I think it's 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 a mixture of it. There's enough for people that follow rugby. There's enough rugby stories in it. I hope that you know, or or big names, uh, you know, that people will go, okay, yeah, I know those people. And but yeah, there's there's the other side of it. The I think the best example I can give. Um, so there's also a, a film or a documentary film that's on the you know Netflix and Amazon Prime. But whenever we were opening that in in Italy on the open night, there was uh, sort of a Q and A at the at the end of it, and. Yeah. Uh, one woman stood up in Italian. Obviously, we were in a in a city called Trento, right in the mountains of, of Italy, up in the north. And uh, she just said, I know nothing about rugby. This isn't a question, but I know nothing about rugby. Yeah. Um, I just came here because I heard it was an interesting story. And I'm so delighted I was here because I don't need to follow the sport. But the, 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 the message is a lot bigger than that. So that's I, I hope that resonates as well with the with the book. Yeah. Is that why you wrote the book? Was that your prime reason to get across your story? I think, or yeah. I have so many questions. By the way, I'm so excited. So <laughs> bear with me now. <laughs> um, like, I mean, what was the main reason? The main reason, I suppose, is getting your story out there. And I suppose mental health is obviously another a couple of trigger words that people talk about now, yeah. which hasn't been maybe in the last 10 years um, been out there. So I went through my difficulties, uh, which I do share um in the book and i think it's just important to get that story out there that there are people that can do it we, we all have our stories in life you know this can just i just interject there because yeah. i just before people don't know because i obviously read parts of it and mm-hmm. um people don't probably realize that mr power was your consultant yeah uh and it, it, what i loved about him is you seem to get a good he was a 
he was heavily invested in you. Mm -hmm. So after the horrific injury, you did actually get 70% of your side yeah, back yeah. and you were back playing and you were in with Joe Schmidt and he was so hard on you and you were about to sign your first professional mm -hmm. contract with Leinster. So um, you were back to where you wanted mm -hmm. to be after being told. <laughs> I could, I, I pictured myself and you saying like, one day at a time, one day, Mr. Paris telling you like one day at a time, but you had to exercise, like you'd come from obviously being a rugby player, GAA player, mm -hmm. like you're an athlete in your own right. So to, to have the level and come back from the operation you had and the horrific injury and then for your retina to come detached. I know he obviously alluded to the fact that you would develop a cataract. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure that was the hardest part because you felt, I'm sure, that you were back to where yeah. you needed to be after the injury but then had to mm -hmm. nearly start again and be then told your site couldn't be saved. Like yeah, it's, 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 it, it has been, you don't want to be too wishy-washy about it, but it, it has been a roller coaster. Yeah, like the last absolutely. decade, honestly, uh, it's actually been nice just taking a step back um, and not sort of have to worry about things, but definitely yeah. a roller coaster because as you said, to get vision back, to then be playing like normally, to then lose the vision, to then get back with the goggles and then yeah. not being able to play in certain countries as well. So you had that battle yeah. as well. Was That was hugely frustrating because it always seemed that everything on the pitch was even though it's not easy was the easier part yes yeah, just everything else of you know the battles off the pitch the battles with vision and all that sort of stuff they yeah. were the really difficult thing it was almost like a battle with yourself absolutely so if you could if you could win that battle with yourself then everything else you know you need i wouldn't say fall you know fell into place yeah. but you you know that was the the, the biggest thing. thing yeah like i just think it's fascinating and my next question is right because obviously second sight considering you lost your sight in one eye like second sight obviously alluded to the fact that you can nearly see into the future mm -hmm. did you have input into the title or like it's fascinating yeah it would have been more the uh, the publishers that came up with that i had a few other ideas but they thought it was was good and i'm, I'm happy with it like every, everything i wouldn't publish anything if i wasn't happy with oh, it it's a of great course, title you know, so i'm 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 happy with it and you know rugby and redemption they 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 came up with that as well so um yeah i mean as I said, it's just been therapeutic, mm. uh, if I'm to be honest. And yeah. it's amazing the things that you actually knew and, and didn't know. Like, I didn't know whenever I went in for the fourth operation with the, you know, to try and fix my retina. Uh, like, I, I didn't know my parents were told that night that the vision was gone. They yeah. had to go home with all that information. And, you know, here's me going, oh, everything is OK. And, and they knew in their hearts that, you know, the vision is gone, you know. So it's been interesting trying to piece all that back together which some things you knew some things you absolutely did not know and did you go through obviously you were going through that again with your parents reliving those memories oh, i've been working on this for a year like of just getting all the information together and making sure it's factually correct because there's nothing wrong nothing worse uh than, than not having your facts in order yeah. um so I'm pretty sure everything is yeah. is, is, no, up, is up to par. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I think you're an inspiration. I no, think Johnny you. alluded to that in his in his deeper like introduction to the book and sure. uh, that you're, an, you're like an inspiration. And I think we we do brandish the the values of rugby. And mm -hmm. I think you live them through this book. And the second thought, I think it's a fantastic title because you went and used your impairment to inspire a broader cohort of people who may not be playing rugby now and your two and a half thousand that you now have mm -hmm. using your goggles like is just inspirational and the fact that you had to do so many tests on yourself and to get this due and fight fight against everyone who didn't want to involve mm -hmm. your have you back playing mm -hmm. i just think hats off to you and, and big it. love and big success with <laughs> this book because i genuinely i think well, you're certainly one of my favorite guests you're so humble and you're so open with your story and i think i know i think recently you were it was a 
down with something with World Games. Was I right with that? Uh, yeah, it? the mixed ability down yeah. in, in Cork. Yeah. yeah, so that's when I was talking, like you've gotten involved in things that you just wouldn't, wouldn't have done maybe, before. you know, you wouldn't have done before. And, you know, I've uh, Sunday's Well Rebels down there in, in Cork, oh, you know, they're, they visited um, an Italian team in Turin about five, four or five years ago. And we went over and visited them and stayed the weekend with them and like, some of the best group of people you're ever going to meet and like that's the other side of it like you love competing like when you play you know you, you love competing there's nothing there's nothing there's no bigger thrill than yeah. when you win a game you're with your teammates and all that sort of stuff but the other side of that there's no bigger thrill than other people taking part yeah, and, and, and being able to experience it themselves and and that's what i get a buzz out of now and yeah. i look forward to hopefully in the future going back to the professional game um but at the minute i'm very happy going back grassroots okay. stuff and uh, just getting the other side of rugby for the time being well yeah. you've heard it here get the book Christmas Appreciate coming it. up and uh, <laughs> yeah I'm certainly looking forward to finishing it's off, cheaper so. than the other ones uh, out there so that might be if people are struggling for cash uh, that might be might <laughs> yeah no it's you're giving it away like uh, I can't absolutely. believe the price point so <laughs> I just think this is going to be such an incredible book I'm looking forward to reading it because it's something a bit different you see every Christmas I'm not going to name certain names but rugby books come out and just the same stories from a different angle but this is going to be like something completely like motivating but also cool stories from you coming up through Italy then as well. You went over yeah. as a coach mm -hmm. and you managed to just play club rugby and then you ended up playing for Italy in the Six Nations and stuff. Like how mm -hmm. that even came about, like you said, you did it last year on the on the podcast, but um, I, I think people need to get this book and read it and especially give it to someone if they think they're struggling. I know if, if this came out, I would have gave it to my cousin a couple of years ago, but he managed to pull himself through and get the goggles himself. There's nice funny bits as well. Um, yeah. Brian O'Driscoll came to visit you. He brought a pun of grapes. Let me be clear on that. There's no <laughs> pun on this. And... Um, <laughs> Ian's mum obviously was a bit in awe, starstruck with Mr. O'Driscoll coming to, to visit and uh, wouldn't let anyone eat the grapes and kept them in the fridge. And, I still know. think we have them. Do you? Uh, oh, God, you probably in, froze them. Yeah, I have them in, in the a frame. Yeah, yeah, so there's some nice... Um, <laughs> and even I said your relationship with Miss Per and Patricia, the yeah, secretary calm, from the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And it's lovely, I think, I suppose, like we've all... You know, and it's a very different injury. Like I broke my leg. I, I, I found that fascinating because you're able to rehab or do upper body for me or, you, you know, you would have had the same. So I just think it's hats off and it's a real testament to your mental resolve. And yeah, uh, yeah I genuinely you. just wish every success with Thanks. it. Yeah, your indefatigability is so impressive. Like, but in, to kind of sum it up, because we could talk about this book all day, I want people to go and get it now. Because um, <laughs> we'll end up telling all the stories and people won't get it. But go get it. And Jerry Thornley, who's one of the best writers to come out of Ireland, said, Second Sight Rugby and Redemption, which is the name of the book, is more than just an outstanding sporting story. It is a tale that celebrates the power of the human spirit to overcome the greatest of setbacks. So um, definitely go get that, guys. Great Christmas present. Um, but we'll move on and we'll talk about some rugby, shall we? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's start with your boys, will we? Let's go with my fellas, yeah. <laughs> and so Leinster v Munster obviously was on the weekend and Leinster, as we thought would happen, won 27-13. But... Munster did better than I thought. They held in for about 60 minutes, didn't they? Yeah, I think the first try was got pennies on just before the 30th minute mark. Um, nice tweet by Mike Ross about uh, baby oil and how slippery the conditions yeah. were. It wasn't really nice. So I think it suited you boys, to be fair. Yeah, Mike Ross said, Mike Ross tweeted saying, it is rain is it raining baby oil at the Viva which is very cheap coming from Mike Ross now he would be the most skillful player so <laughs> oh god listen have you seen the size of Mike Ross oh yeah I Mike know. he didn't mean that honey. he didn't mean that <laughs> great player but like don't be calling out people's skills like oh stop it was yeah it was a messy old match wasn't it a lot oh, of turnovers a lot of missed penalties like every, it was some, I suppose we knew it was going to be a dogfight 
but I don't think the conditions made it for good watching at times. I think the standout moment was um, Rob Russell's try on the wing when we, you know, we, we kind of put some phases together and, you know, kind of started to get some soft shoulders and some gaffs. But other than that, it was kind of a war of attrition. Um, uh, Knox was yellow carded. Clive was yellow carded. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, yeah messy on match now. What you make of it, Ian? You watched, I presume. Yeah, I was at it. So pretty much it was very stop start um and there was a bit of rain at half time so i think you know second half conditions were, were tricky I, from, to be honest i thought leinster were comfortable throughout you know monster monster's try was really good they put in some good plays you know the young players they have a couple of really good young players like a hearn is a, you can just tell he's gonna be i a love him yeah he's, he's gonna be really he's gonna be a hunter capper for he's monster. gonna he's be easy. such yeah. a good player um but you just always felt that leinster were just in control they were able to to just sort of dictate the, the crucial moments and when Munster they just didn't look as threatening you know Leinster can just score like that um, but no I mean it was Roundtree I saw you know said it was an encouraging yeah there were encouraging signs um, and hopefully a couple of the injuries that Munster picked up weren't weren't uh, weren't too serious yeah in fairness to Munster now they had they have 16 players currently out injured um, some of the list would include Simon Zebo, Conway Earls Tygburn O'Mahony Fekatoa Stephen Archer, Witcherly, Kendellin, Salanoa, and Snyman. So that is some list of players. Mm -hmm. And you could see it with the team for Munster was very young. Like there yeah. was, and some lads were on the bench who have one cap, or I think, is it Patrick Campbell has one cap? Mm -hmm. And and Rory uh, came onto the bench and he is no, he'd only one cap as well. He'd only one cap against uh, Gloucester earlier yeah. in the year. So like, in fairness, Munster had a really young team. And they did hold on for about 60 minutes. But as you said there, Ian... Leinster were never under any pressure. Like I was at the game as well, and the whole game was just in the Munster twenty-two for like mm. the first half. Mm. Leinster failed to score now because Munster scrambled. He was pretty mm -hmm. good, and Leinster mm -hmm. made uh, uncharacteristic errors. Like, mm. but Leinster were never under pressure. We never at panicked, all. though, did we? We never looked panicked. No, like that's the difference. I think the mental resolve. Yeah, but I think like Gavin Coombe skipped past. I'm sorry to his cousin. Like, was unreal. <laughs> we kind of said this last week. My thing is like, like. Munster will always punch like they'll always stay in the fight but like I think two things for me the young guys need to stay in like Tom O'Hearn like I've seen his reaction to winning a scrum penalty and he gets up and he's just a beast of a man like and he's like Rawr. and like you can see those really positive signs but mm -hmm. I think they need consistency and the injuries might might be a blessing in disguise to be honest you know they'll have chances now with O'Mahony going into Irish camp and obviously Conway's come back for his knee injury but like they do need something different, do you know, not only the fight. We said that like, you know, Leinster are able to mix it up. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, we brought like they brought in Scott Penny, Max Deegan, who again are kind of no more than some of the lads that you've mentioned there from Munster, who, but they're just being given opportunities. So they're able to develop at that rate and knots quicker than your Munster lads. And I think it's time now to just wipe the slate and Roundtree to just give them that benefit of the doubt and let them blood blood them in games. Like Tom Ahern is going to be the new Paul O'Connell in my feelings and there hasn't been anyone close to him really since since those days. Like no trophy since 2011. It's it's just not good enough for Munster Rugby. I'm sorry. I know I give you a hard time. I'm sorry. I still love you but... Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a bit more positive than that in the sense that these young fellas are playing well as you alluded to there, Gavin Coombs like his skill set for a number eight like was incredible to yeah. throw that ball over the top to his cousin yeah. Liam Coombs I don't think people realise they're first cousins mm -hmm. they live out in Skibbereen or they're from Skibbereen so that yeah. was a nice moment for the Coombses but those young guys up and coming are doing well I think it just you could see it when it got to 60 minutes and um, Leinster unloaded their bench they brought on the likes of Andrew Porter 
who were supposed to go to the Lions tour, Jack Conan, who started every Lions test at number eight, Ross Maloney, who has over 100 caps for Leinster. Like these guys are seasoned veterans and we have guys coming off with one cap. So it just shows that we did, like there's too many injuries in Munster, but the young guys did well. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, it's... I'm glad you brought up the bench because when you saw the team sheets, like, <laughs> you know, and, and usually you can you can judge the strength of a team by how good their bench is. Yeah. Um, because a top, top team, their bench is just as good as, as a starting team. So when you saw that, you maybe had a bit more fear for, for Munster. But one thing you're never going to lack from a Munster team is spirit and, yeah. and effort and, you know, those sort of the, the, the basics of, of rugby that get you, that keep you in games and win games and all that sort of stuff. So their scrum was a lot better, I think, than, than most people thought. Mm-hmm. I think Leinster would be disappointed they didn't necessarily dominate from that. But... I really like Munster's coaching ticket. Like having Mike Prendergast, I think, is a really good uh, addition. Having Dennis Leamy, all these things take, they do take time. And I know coaching, <laughs> you're not going to necessarily have time. Yeah. But I think, Lindsay, like you're right, like the, those young guys need time now just to embed what the what the new philosophies may be within Munster or, or uh, you can't necessarily find your way because you know, don't necessarily have time to, to do that. But I think that's what the, what they need to to be given uh, because they definitely are good enough players. It's mm. just there. I think the atmosphere was so dead in the game just because it never felt like a, a full on yeah, contest. Derby. I don't know if that, you know, th- there wasn't that bite, you know, in previous years, you know, I remember going to Munster games and, you know, the Heineken Cup when Munster absolutely smashed Leinster in the old Lansdowne Road, you know, and it was a fierce rivalry because, you know, even though Munster thumped them, but there was there was a bit more bite in the crowd just because people knew there was the potential for either team to win. Yeah, but it just, it just had that, that yeah. the flat feeling. I said, I said, I actually mentioned that two or three times. I went to the game as well mm-hmm. and on the way to the game it was so easy it just like drove up parked the car walked in and I was like when I was a young fella going to Munster v Leinster mm. first of all you're lucky if you got a ticket yeah. second of all as you're approaching the game like two hours out there's red jerseys blue jerseys yeah. pubs are flooded like everyone's screaming chanting like headbands the whole lot now we just walk down to the Viva Stadium stroll in there's like spare seats everywhere mm. I don't understand what the problem is is tickets too expensive people don't care about rugby as much anymore what, what do you think the issue is there I don't know what it is because the rugby is a really high standard just people are, how is the game not completely sold out Leinster v Munster like? I, I think it's just because the rivalry hasn't been as much of a rivalry in the last few years potentially so yeah. people yeah. might see it as an easier as, as a game that Leinster are probably going to win whereas previously it you know, it was yeah. a bit more 55-45 situation where it's it's a, it's a lot more now. Like this derby holds the record for the highest attendance at a, at a club game. Like so we filled out Croke Park for 82 and a half thousand yeah. and now we're barely filling the Aviva 30 odd. There's fair seats everywhere. 100%. So I think, and this is, let me be clear, I am positive with Munster. I think my point is like the positive thing now is you have so many good young players coming up. Give them that time. I think when I say wipe to stay clean, like you haven't won a trophy since 2011. Not good enough for the caliber of Monster Rugby, but I think there's championships there within those young guys, but they need time there now. And that's what I think, especially what Ian said to build on that. I just think they're, what was it, 30 points to seven and uh, Monster beat us in that semi final in Lansdowne. And like, I remember O'Gara like nearly Crying. massaging, yeah. you know, his ego and just the fact that they won. And like, it was Paul O'Connell, it was Jerry Flannery, it was Dennis Leamy, like, it was all the old guard that beat. And again, like, Let's be clear, like Munster set the tone for beating the famous team to beat the first Irish team to beat the All Blacks. They um, win in European Cups when they beat two French teams, like no Irish international team. You know, when we get a win against France, it's a huge deal. So to, to beat Toulouse and Biarritz, 
on their way to those 2006 and 2008 championships. Like, they're big deals. But, yeah, I just think because they've been so trophyless, it's just nearly like, and we said it in the show last week, it was just kind of, it was a given that Leinster were going to win. Do you know what I mean? And I just think that Derby, it's it's always got, like, oh, I hate losing to Munster. And I always go, there's no motivation needing to play Munster for any Leinster and vice versa. But I think the Derby and the rivalry will always be there. But I think on the scoreline and on a rugby level, it needs to be invigorated to get yeah. the fans back. I, t- I genuinely thought going to the game that I was like, this is going to be like at least 40 points on the Leinster side. And if Munster could get one or two tries, it'd be good. Munster did get one or two tries, but they actually held Leinster for longer than I thought they would. And if Leinster hadn't got that Rob Russell try at the end, Munster would have got a losing bonus point with a team of young fellas, academy players on the bench. So I actually think, I know I'm being very optimistic here, but I think it's a really good performance out of Munster. They're probably sitting now doing their team analysis, being like, that's not too too bad if we did this there, we got to try here, stop Rob Russell. Because Gary Ringrose did unbelievable for that try. He came around late, sucked in Shane Daly, and they just went down the wing at 2v1. If that was defensively dealt with, they, they would have finished within seven points, which would have been a great victory away or a great point to get away from home. Yep. So I do think it's not too bad. And imagine you get all these 16 injured players back. Like So I, I do think it's it's okay in Munster's sense that they'll be sitting there in their, in their team analysis being like, lads, we're not too bad. I know everyone's kind of writing us off. But oh, their scrum was gone. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I mean, like if you have everyone fit for Munster, everyone fit for Leinster, I mean, you're going to have a titanic battle. Yeah. Mm. But professional sport now the likelihood is that you're always going to have an injury list. And that's the thing about having the depth of squad, which I think Munster have just lacked yeah. in the last few years in comparison to a Leinster. Um, and that's yeah. whenever you have that type of bench, that's just the, the, the difference that you would have in a game like that. Yeah, and a question I, I want to ask you, Ian, in relation to coaching of professional 15s teams. For Munster, in the last couple of years, they've had like Rob Penny, mm-hmm. they had Axel, obviously, who mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. Then they had Razzie. Now mm-hmm. they have, uh, then they had, yeah, Van Grand now they mm-hmm. have Roundtree I just named five coaches that I was under for them like myself yeah. and surely that has a big effect on like the ethos of a team and like everyone being on the same hymn sheet and different things like, would that have a big effect like in a long term for Munster that they just don't know where they all are uh, yeah it's a good question I mean they're good coaches I mean who you've named are very very good coaches I think just rugby is sort of moving on a bit from just you know bash bash and you have to have variation in your game which i think is why you know leinster have been so successful say at the domestic end of things uh, obviously in europe whenever they come up against the the french teams they've that's probably why they brought in jenkins just to bring a bit of beef into the pack so that they can maybe maul over teams a bit more so certainly i think it depends on what your personnel is as well you know and i think you know having I'm probably I'll talk about Joey a little bit just because I mean I played ten as well and just sort of him against the Bulls last week he was almost I won't say back to his best but he looked exciting you know and he looked like he was excited to play and I think it's just trying to establish you know are they going to go what what way are Munster trying to play you know whoever's going to be in that pivotal uh, position you know um, so I think that's just really important in terms of them just finding out and 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 I do believe Mike Prendergast has gathered a vast amount of experience and is is a really good person to bring this team forward and how they want to play. I don't think we've seen, we haven't seen the best of them yet. Um, but I do think they're trying to do some different things and maybe that's why they're forcing passes a little bit. Mm. Uh, they're forcing the skill set. Um, so you think the change of the coaches wouldn't actually have that much effect on the overall squad? That the players should be good enough to just adopt the game plan? And uh, well, it. those things do take time. It's, it's certainly a balancing act. Um, but I mean, it's tough as well. Roundtree, it's his first job. Um, his head coach job. You know, yeah. His, yeah, his first head coach job. But I think he's got good people there 
to a system. Like Leamy and Prendergast will know Munster rugby in and out. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to get a combo to assist him um, better, than that, yeah. better than that. And I think it's just it's just making sure you know that they have the right people in the areas in terms of what type of game they want to they want to play. Yeah. You know, Crowley's a very good player as well. You know, he, he played at fifteen. What what did Leinster do? Just kick the ball up to him because he's not he hasn't played fifteen that much. You know, that's 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 playing to. Yeah, to the weakness of your yeah, or try your, identify a yeah, weakness. You know, so it's just about Munster trying to identify, I believe, what, what their strengths are and how they're going to go about that. Obviously, the names that you've mentioned, you have a different back row when you've got Peter O'Mahony and Ty Byrne yeah. there. I mean, who, who, you know, any team in world rugby would love to have them. So obviously, that's massive, but that's just where Leinster have the jump on them is yeah. that you, 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 you swap a Van der Fleer with a, a Scott Penny, you know, you, 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 you have a, a Caelan Doris with a Jack Conan. I mean, that's. You know, world class players. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, talking more actually about the game that happened. Um, so we had some lovely tries. You mentioned we mentioned the Coombs one. Yep. We mentioned the Ross um, or Rob the Russell. Rob Russell one. We Luke McGrath made up for his little mistake, and he had an unbelievable try. He burst burst through Ben Healy and Dave Kilcoyne. Yeah, which killer will be killer will be few. Oh, he'll be absolutely raging with that now. Um, Luke McGrath was like three meters out from the line, and he just powered through. I didn't know he was that strong. No, because I can't lie. I was like, you're gonna die now. You know, you're you're like that's the you know coming off a mall. You've such a strong line of D, and you're coming in against all front rowers and a mismatch. You don't want to really be in. I was like, he's a he's a ball chain. I know if you go. Yeah. Uh, so fair play, he finished well. Um, but to build on Ian's point, I think like that was nice to see. I think le- the Munster did upset Leinster's set piece, and that's what it's something mm-hmm. I wanted to see because we saw that really with uh, Ron Nagaro with La Rochelle. Like he tactically pit like picked apart Leinster in like mm-hmm. the semi final last year and the final this year. And I think that's with the coaching point, if you can bring in the coaches who will pick apart the opposition, which you can do at professional level and elite level sport, it'd be nice to see. But like the scrums were very good for Munster, got a couple of penalties off Leinster and I thought they dominated them. And set piece, they ch- challenged on a line out a couple of times, which Connacht had kind of put us on the back foot as well the, the week previous. So I think there's good signs there. Yeah, I think it's just an evolution. Trees, just knowledge coming in and dealing with the set piece. Just yeah, because Jeremy Lachlan, I think he's doing really well. Yeah. Um, obviously we we saw a try last week from him, but set piece like. You had some analysis about. Uh, I him, did. Him I did. Moving into tight header. Yes, so he started at loose, and then uh, Knox got yellow carded, obviously for a, a breakdown issue with James Ryan. Um, so that was dangerous. So he went off. So fair play for Lachlan because I'm a loose head, and to go over tight, it's so like your your scrum relies on the dominance of your tight head. So if your tie head, like they're central to how successful your scrum will be. So for him to go from loose, you're doing totally the opposite of what you're trying to do in the tight and then such responsibility. So, okay, so you're going to have to, sorry, you have to realise you're talking to a winger now on a seven. Okay. Ten, so you're going to have to. And a, and a ten. And, and a, a ten. ten. <laughs> yes, so we have no it's my time to shine as a prop. So can you quickly just give a synopsis of the differences between what, what Jeremy had to do moving in? Yes. Yeah, so at loose, say, are say on the hit, right? So you're kind of relying on your bind. You're kind of relying on getting underneath the tie head. You don't want them in this angle between your shoulder and the hooker because that's center. If, like if I'm sheared off, like they'll go right through um, your scrum. So you're trying to make sure there's no angle. You're winning the space. So you're winning that space on the hit and I'm trying to get in under my tie head because it doesn't matter how big they are. If I can get right under your chin, um, you're, you're basically rendered obsolete and I'm going to try and pop you. So for like Jeremy, that's his job against kind of Tyke Furlong, which is not an easy job considering he's a world class tie head. Mm. Um, he obviously went off injured that with an angle, but even Alatoa, um, 
it, it's it your centre. So to go now in your tie head, you're going up against, now you're trying to get in the angle between two players. So you're trying to get in, you're going up against their hooker and their loose head. And you're trying to, again, win this space, cut the space down and kind of get yourself in an angle and aiming for the second row's head. So technically it's so different. Um, You're trying to pronounce your tie head. So I'm going up against and all your power is going through them. So once the tie head is moving, then your scrum can move. Okay. So on one side, you're being patient as a loose. You might have to be passive on the hit. Um, because if I'm, say, strong on a loose head side and I get a good hit, the opposition scrum will wheel and that's giving them an upper hand against your tie head. Okay. So they're centered to everything that works. Like if you don't win a space or you're in a bad position, you're kind of goose. And he did get in bad position against Porter a couple of times, but um, like Dave Kilcoyne did really well as well with when against Alatoa, who was kind of surprisingly he was very um extended as a tie head like so when you hit you need to chase your feet like you're in this bear crawl position all the time but Alatoa kind of collapsed the scrum uh got penalized i think the only thing for lockman when he went to tight very aggressive on the hit and what happened was when you hit and you don't sink and kind of everyone like brings together your joints so you're got you're kind of like a transformer so when you hit you really recoil you got everyone tucks in, you're really strong. They kind of actually bounce back and, and the put in is when you're weakest. So on Munster Ball, when Murray put it in, you're losing your hooker for a strike. So you're down to seven players scrummaging and Leinster were just cute. And as soon as the put in and the hooker lifted, they just absolutely goosed him. But yeah, yeah he, positionally, he was just a bit like he wasn't low enough. I felt his feet. He was a bit kind of open. Like you don't want your open area as a tie head. Yeah. So I think overall, to be honest, he did very, very well. To, yeah. to come across yeah so obviously the last 20 minutes it was just kind of that was a big uh, winning point for, for Leinster to just have that set piece that's yeah come. Porter just kind of got in under he like that chest position I said like yeah. you see Jeremy Lockman he opened himself up so it just gave him more of a surface area to work with for yeah. Porter and he just kind of left himself open as a tie head you want to really close that point and give them very little surface area to work with so yeah. I think he just used his experience to be honest and I'm sure Porter going from loose to tight and back to loose would know exactly all the kind of harsh learnings that he would have gotten in that transition you know yeah. so I think hats off to him I think they did really well I think they frustrated the scrum and they got a couple of easy yeah. penalties off Lens. Fair play to Jeremy Dublin up there um um, he was our winner of our Never uh, Stop Competing he last, last week, week as well. So we, we like Jeremy on the show. But I want to talk about the backs now. That was enough for chat there for a while. I know. I, do, I <laughs> did lose you, didn't I? You were like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so Frawley at full back. What did you make of that? Yeah, I was surprised. It shows how talented he is that he can sort of play anywhere in the back line. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of him. Um, just a pity he couldn't play on that emerging tour. I think you would have obviously seen him at 10. Um yeah, so we yeah, would have seen be, him like running the squad there. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be really interesting. It's it's just so difficult. I mean, you've got what Johnny the Byrne brothers and then Kieran Frawley, you know, where where is he gonna get the time yeah. you know to play out half? Because Ireland, you know, that's where they're heading towards, you know, uh having a real serious look at him there. Mm-hmm. I've a lot of time for him as a player. I think he's really gifted. Um and I think he's at the stage in his career. Potentially, he just needs to find his position and, and go for it. Yeah. Um, I spent a bit, a bit of time at Rob Kearney a few weeks ago and we were chatting about this this whole thing, about who's going to be the next 10 after mm-hmm. Johnny. It was obviously a, a common chat to have at Rugby Heads. And he himself said he thinks it's going to be Kieran Frawley because he can't see a fault in Kieran Frawley's game. He okay. said he can pass, he can kick, he's good knowledge of the game, he's aggressive, he's fast. Mm-hmm. And he just as you just alluded to there, there's just no opportunities for him to play at 10 because Johnny's there all the time. Mm. So do you think Kieran Frawley will 
be the up and coming ten after Johnny, or do you think there's other guys in the sh- in the show ahead of him? I think he's probably best positioned. Uh, I mean, fortunate enough to have very good. You know, Ireland are very fortunate to have so many good um, options, alternatives to Johnny. I mean, if, if Johnny could keep going, I think that's the, <laughs> the ideal solution. You know, for any Irish coach, but. I think he's in the best position. Um, you know, Ross Byrne is so well thought after in Leinster. You know, it's it's just finding games for him. It's just going to be the real challenge. Um, because you know, Ross has you know played so many games for Leinster. You know, he came on at twelve at the weekend there. Um, so I, as a rugby player, as a general rugby player, uh, he would be my go-to. Just because, as you alluded to, he's it is very hard to find a weak point in his in his game. But he just needs exposure at 10. Yeah. Uh, and those high-end games, which obviously Joey has had with Munster, maybe not on a consistent basis at international level. It's just trying to get those high-end games uh, at 10. Whether he'll find that with the club he's with at the moment, I don't know. Uh, that's up for the coaches to, to debate. But certainly as a rugby player, uh, I, I really am very fond of him. In Probably that sense, sticking yeah. his head, hand up. Yeah. yeah, another person that stuck his hand up on the other side of the pitch was uh, we had Crowley playing at 15 for mm. Munster. What did you, how did you think he got on? Yeah, I thought he was good. Leinster targeted him really well in the high ball. You know, they, Johnny put up lots of kicks uh, to him and put him under pressure in that sense. Uh, he's really gifted. You know, I think down in Munster, you've got Joey, who's got a mixture of both games. Ben Healy's kicking game is, is very good, whereas Jack's obviously... You know, he's fantastic with ball in hand. So it's, you know, Munster have a dilemma there of sort of figuring out how they want to to play. Do you change each week or, you know, based on who's there or, or whatnot? But he's certainly uh, a talent. But I think Kieran at the minute, Kieran Frawley at the minute would have a bit bit of a head start on him. Yeah. Uh, you think Jack yeah. Crowley's name is in the mix, though, for these up and coming tens after Johnny, after the Emerging Ireland oh, tour? Yeah. He had a great I, Emerging Ireland Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he's getting, he is getting games. Um, but I suppose it, it's... It's very much open, you know. Once Johnny stops, it's it's about the person who puts their hand up, uh, really, and it's it's there to to be taken. Uh, it's really, yeah. You know, it really, and and that's I suppose for people who are watching the game, you know, who are studying or whatever, that's the really interesting thing about who will take it. There, you know, there there are, there are options, but it's just about guys getting consistent games uh, at, at the highest level just to make sure that that transition is sort of seamless almost. And what do you think the thought process is behind playing these? out now 10s really at 15 like Frawley played 15 Crowley played mm-hmm. 15 do you think it's just an injury issue that the coaches picking them there or they're like we might need to play him at 15 yeah maybe for that game that could have been what was thinking mm. from from a monster point of view I know Joey then obviously has played a few games at 15 they might have looked to have switched it around potentially is it um, kind of the idea to have two playmakers running the yeah and, and, the and, and you, you sort of saw that that you know, when Munster tried to play a little bit more in the second half, you you, you saw Jack coming into it a little bit more. When Ben Healy came on, they sort of challenged a little bit more. Me personally, I love having two playmakers. Um, I, I, off, yeah. yeah, I always loved uh, having it just because it gives you an extra kicking option. It gives you an extra playing option. It just sort of keeps uh, opposition guessing. So whether Munster stick with that, uh, you know, it isn't a bad thing trying to learn about another position because you do... I mean, listen, I played as well center and 15, so you do understand, but ultimately you want to nail your position, you know, uh, yeah. so that's a really big thing when they're coming into their, up into their mid-20s now, you you really need to be starting to think, 
I'm going for that position yeah. and that's that's where I want to play. Well, the funny thing is, at the end of last season, we'd always be chatting about Ben Healy and how yeah. good his kicking is and he was probably taking the jersey off Joey and putting Joey back to 15. And now Crowley's throwing his name in the mix. Mm. So there's just so many 10s. How do you think Ben Healy's getting on? I presume he's been injured and that he's just coming back in. I'm yeah. not sure. But he played in the weekend for a couple of minutes. He yeah. did okay. Again, he's a different style of player. You know, he's, his kicking game, as you said, is fantastic and... It is a bit of a dilemma for Munster in the sense of how do you how do you approach the games with with the personnel you have? Um, I think Jack has probably taken a, a leap over over Ben at the moment. Um, Based off the Emerging Ireland tour, yeah. Uh, but again, you know, you don't don't write off Joey Carberry by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, you know, of course, uh, play, played, you know, played day, played yeah. against him in his early days with with Ireland, and you can see he's so talented. He, you know, um, and I, I think I heard on you know other podcasts saying you know he 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 might be the the victim of so many voices you know <laughs> you know in terms of being coached you know he yeah. just needs to find his way and and you know I'm not saying he plays on an individual basis but what are his strengths and his strengths are you know spotting gaps and you know he's he's got a good turn of pace on him his passing is good his his, his kicking feet is good yeah. his feet are unbelievable and that's yeah. a, a great a great asset for Munster to have and I do believe his game. Uh, understanding and everything is growing and that's because he's getting a bit more game time you know with Munster at 10 but again there's one thing playing you know Munster URC there's another thing then playing European Cups and then there's another thing playing uh, international rugby and that's where it has to it's, it's difficult for him if he's only getting little 10 minute ca cameos uh, yeah. that is very very difficult because you're you're almost you're not um, the game is already described for you. You know, you're you're yeah. you're you're playing to what the situation is, but that's also part of it. But uh, you know, wh whoever, I think that's why it is a pity that that Kieran didn't get the games maybe in the emerging tour because that would have been a big sort of uh, test for him yeah. to see if he could pass in terms of running running a team. Of course, yeah. Um, and you mentioned Joy there. Uh, he about getting game time but now he's after picking up a bit of a knock mm -hmm. so we're hoping that's not too much because poor Joey's had his fair share of injuries like mm -hmm. he just needs to keep playing now he hurt the shoulder we're, fingers crossed it's not too bad um, Jean Klein also got injured Thomas O'Hearn got injured Jack O'Sullivan got injured so we're hoping that all of them aren't too bad but like because Munster do not need more yeah. injuries that would make it tw over 20 injuries in the squad so mm -hmm. fingers crossed the physios aren't too busy down in Munster at the moment um, but up next Munster have Ulster at home what do you think is going to happen there? Well, was it 30, 30 plus people sick in the Ulster camp mm -hmm. um, down in South Africa? So there was a, a bout of illness that's gone around two, two teams that were down there. So you just don't know sort of what Ulster <laughs> are going to come back with. Uh, obviously, there's some guys that wouldn't have traveled, but, yeah. you know, so it's a big opportunity for Munster to lay down a marker because I think people would argue, you know, Ulster have overtaken Munster as the second yes, strongest, yeah. strongest province. So that's a real big marker for Munster to lay down. And I think, was it last year, the last time they played them in Ravenhill or up in the Kingspan, you know, Ulster won convincingly. Yeah. So Ulster play a really good brand of rugby. They seem to have brought a bit more steeliness to their pack. But this is a real opportunity for Munster as Munster to lay down a marker, but also those, I know the squad has been picked, but those younger guys to lay down a marker against their Ulster younger counterparts to say, listen, you're not number, you're not, you're not, you're not, you know, number two in the pecking order or whatever yeah. in terms of the province, you know, we're here to make a statement. So I think it's a massive game for Munster. It is a good opportunity because the Ulster lads are coming back from South Africa with uh, a bout of illness. I think they mm -hmm. got some, some gastro illness yeah. there. Mm -hmm. They were all spending a lot of time in the toilet, supposedly. So um, they might <laughs> yeah, be a bit drained with all the traveling coming back from South Africa and down to play Munster and Tomlin Park. So it could be opportunity mm -hmm. to get a few points. What do you think, Lindsay? Yeah, uh, to be honest, if 
it, it is. I think it's the biggest game now for Munster, considering they lost to Connacht. Obviously, put in a good performance against Leinster, but I think you're right. I think unfortunately, Munster in the middle trial now with no attention, and I think like <laughs> Ulster are like this younger brother who's come up out of nowhere and kind of you know are starting to match. They're probably the biggest threat now to the big brother of Leinster and their success. So, yeah. um, I think if let. Ulster, I, I liked Ulster last year. I thought they played a, a fantastic brand of rugby. I think, you know, Hume and McCluskey we've seen now in the Autumn Internationals and we really hope he gets a run because he's absolutely an absolute beast of a man who's been like just hold. It's like a tennis ball. Like he's just, you know, he's just been phenomenal in Central. So um, I, I do think my money would be on Ulster, but, you know, I think if Munster is seeking opportunity, no better time now to, to catch Ulster on the off. And I think it would be a big confidence booster for them. But Yeah. Um, Hopefully we get some of those lads out, out from injury and get to play against Ulster on the weekend. But time will tell. Um, but another uh, province that was in action over the weekend was Connacht. They yes. um, got a good win in Sports Crown. They were 36-14 wins, winners against Scarlets. But before we get on to that, Yes. We had uh, Joe's very own Alex Roberts caught up with Andrew Conway to get the inside scoop with some of his monster teammates. Have a look at this. Which teammate has the weirdest or strangest diet? Definitely 100% David Kilcoyne. And he, he goes through different diets at the moment. He is, I hope I'm not giving any state secrets away, but he eats four steaks a night. Now, like not a not a, not good standard steaks now like the worst meat you can possibly buy but he believes that this is now like his kind of his point of difference uh he's big into turkey burgers with cheese he's just like he doesn't think like the normal human being does david but uh he's uh, you wouldn't change him at all he's he's one of a billion i'd say is that inspired by liver king or something like that you he know? loves the liver king yeah 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 he's sending me videos wow. the liver king yeah when you said four steaks <laughs> is that is how he is yeah okay okay but he, well he's eating like hearts and liver yeah, yeah. and all mm. that sort of stuff mm. but yeah 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 that would get some locks from the the canteen if he pulled out that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then like, but he eats normal throughout the day, you know. Like, so he kind of claims that he, he only ever eats, you know, meat. But then also you see him having his lunch and he's having normal lunch. But yeah. then he'll just pretend that that didn't happen, and you can't. He'll just lie and say that like, no, I didn't. But yes, you did. Is he fully carnivore on the diet? And is he having like carbs and? Cause... But he says he's. I think he says he's all meat, but he's not. You know, you know that type of way. You can't be an athlete without carbohydrates or can it yeah exactly yeah 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 listen i hope any nutritionists don't see this and i don't get him in trouble but he's uh he's well out to deal with it yeah i mean i'm not calling out a pro, a pro rugby player on their diet you know? yeah so um who's the strongest in the gym would you say um he's up there fairness to him he's very very strong and he tell you about it too tell you now whenever he gets a good score he got he does the rounds telling everyone well, they got this i've got it this um who else is strong the big lads are all strong, aren't they? Um, yeah, killers, killer. Yeah, I'd say killers the strongest pound for pound. Who's the biggest gym bunny? So not necessarily the strongest, but loves a selfie, loves a bicep pump in the middle. Yeah, there's a load of them. You know, there's a load of them that you'd find on the bicep rack, which is disappointing. You know, especially the older lads, like they should be able to be fast at now. Conor Murray's miserable biceps, like he does a miserable bicep. So fairness to him, he's been persistent and he's constantly working on them, but he's. Uh, He's fighting losing battle, unfortunately. <laughs> um, any pre-match superstitions that you're able to reveal about from yourself or the squad? Um, not, not really the squad because you know everyone's got their own thing, and you kind of leave people do their thing on particular match day. You don't want to like certainly not. You don't certainly don't judge what other people are up to. Different people have their own different ways. I remember Damien Delande literally being asleep like five minutes before we we're going out to a big match last year. 
uh, like he did the jumper over his head and he was like just panned out in the seat and I was like oh my god that lad is just sideways and then he goes out and is the best player in the pitch you know um, Tyke Byrne plays Angry Birds or one of those games up until like a similar time frame you know and he's just so relaxed and then again just turns it on to be one of the best players in the world Um you can feel different people are up to different things. Some people are nice and chilled. We're trying to be more chilled, actually, to be honest with you. Um, get the music playing, have chatting. I love having Simon Zebo around the place because he's just fun. You know, he's just enjoyable company. So actually having him there and we sit near each other, you know, based on our positions, um, it's just nice to have him. You know, he takes the, the edge off me anyway because I can get a bit angsty. What's the funniest thing you've seen Simon Zebo do on a rugby pitch? Funniest thing I've seen him do. Um, what did he do? Oh, he's, he's just generally funny, you know. Like he's he just enjoys himself. Um, it's a serious side to him too, you know, that you don't see it come out that often. But uh, he is like he'd be a good pal of mine, you know. And he's like just someone you gravitate towards. He's just got unlimited energy. He's got four kids, which is just like insane he wouldn't know it though you'd never see him tired um he's you know just very enjoyable to be around and like brings the crack and uh and he takes his rugby seriously too like you know he, he gives off the perception that he doesn't but he does and he's got a lovely balance so he's uh now he's a top teammate who's the goat of rugby in your opinion the goat of rugby is There's a few people. Johnny Sexton, in my opinion, is up there. He's got however many European titles. He's got two two Grand Slams, three or four of the three championships, maybe. Uh, however many URCs, Lions Tours, now beating New Zealand multiple times, over 100 caps. He's like, if you look at an impact that Johnny has on rugby matches when, it, when he's playing versus when he's not playing, it's it's crazy. It's really really crazy, uh, and the fella is thirty seven. You know, so that that plays its part to be still going at this age. Massively plays its part into that type of question. He still wants more as well. You know, like I've known Johnny a long time going back to when I was playing for Leinster, and he's he's mellowed out definitely in like a a, a good way. You know, he's obviously the captain of the national team, um, and that's been brilliant for him because it's 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 almost in a way probably forced him to you know to just to to chill out a small bit, um, which has been good for for like everyone around him <laughs> particularly, um, but then definitely for himself. You know, he's not as he's not as highly strong, but he's still with that. Why I say that he hasn't lost the, the driver desire, which is like you know they're they you almost think if he loses a bit of that, is he going to lose? Is are you going to lose an edge? He hasn't, um, so. Hopefully, Johnny, I know he's announced that he's retiring after the World Cup, I believe. So he's obviously got big 12, 15 months ahead. Um, and, you know, if we can do what we, you know, are planning to do and are, are striving towards, then I don't think that question is in doubt. But at the moment, he's he's definitely up there. Uh, one final one, Andrew. If you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? Oh, God. And I get asked this a bit. And I'm very grateful that I'm a rugby player because I was no good in school. And I was, I was a... I was a wild enough young man, so I would have, you know, definitely gone down a few wrong paths. Um, 
now I suppose as I'm in rugby and the longer I'm in rugby I really enjoy the psychological side of it the, um, it's definitely served me a lot and particularly in the last five or six years to you know keep you keep getting better and you know keep going up the levels and eventually break into the national team and you know perform you know keep keep those performance levels climbing um so i enjoy talking about that so i suppose when you're looking for after rugby life what do i enjoy doing you know i enjoy talking i enjoy sports all i've known i enjoy talking about the the um the mind the mindset part of it which is psychological part of it so i, I think the the where i'd be at now is going into something to do with that now i don't know if that's as a sports psychologist or as a you know within within sporting environments just you know I'm not sure the exact role, but that's what I enjoy talking about. So I think that's a relatively good place to start uh, planning, you know. Have you had the chance to actually impart your advice from what you've learned to younger players, academy pros, that stuff? Yeah, 100%. I think that's part of it. You know, Paul O'Connell was very good to me when I first came down to Munster. And as he was retiring as well, you know, I'd cheeky enough to tap him up for conversations not really realizing at the time you know the man probably had two kids at the time he's getting people pulling them left and right he's an Irish rugby legend and I'm asking him can you sit down for coffee a couple of times and he gave me you know all the time in the world you know I remember going for a walk with him once sitting having a coffee once um there was a, one or two more times as well and like you know he is a busy man and he's getting, like I said, getting people pulling him left and right. And he, and he was good enough to, you know, sit down with me and properly make effort, you know, and listen to me, listen to what I was saying, listen to where I was coming from. Give, give him opinion. Remember, we had sent this big email back and forth of like, you know, essentially a bullet points of what the conversation was, you know, time consuming stuff. Um, so it's it's definitely the ex- more experienced player's job if, if asked. You know, you don't want to go around like, you know, imparting wisdom here and like people tell you go away like you know you don't want to be that guy but if someone asks you you know you got to make the effort to to um to help as much as you can so i'm still learning 100 percent. you know still learning from some of the young lads that come in you know someone like craig casey is is amazing and what the attitude he's brought and the um the want and the standards he sets so like there's learnings to be made everywhere it's not just from the experienced guys uh, but i suppose when you're a bit that bit more experienced and you've you've been around the block a couple of times with you know potentially when I was coming in, I was going to be the next big thing that then looked like I was going to be the next big failure. And then you kind of, you know, you claw your way back in a way. There's, there's a lot of life experience in that. Um, so, yeah, I'd like more than happy to share with, you know, people that people that ask. But again, you don't want to be the, the guy going around preaching either. <laughs> Brilliant, Andrew. Thanks very yeah, much for your time, it. man. All right, so our uh, counterparts are over in the west of Ireland. Connacht got a good win, 36-14, well-deserved. Uh, did you watch the game, Lindsay? I did. Uh, Connacht are good like they have some great moments you know but they like they were probably lucky with Scarlett's two yellow cards and um, I thought Carty's link up with uh, our boy Mac for two of his tries was unbelievable skip pass in the corner finished very well and then the little kick through he was probably lucky but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt so <laughs> listen great win I think the all weather surface now is um, starting to suit the Westerners and their style of play Definitely, yeah. Well, Mac Henson got caught early on in the game. Oh, he, God, he did. He, he got left for dushed. Oh, he was like, no, Mac. So he's a good friend of the show, kicked the ball, <laughs> and uh, just a good counter-attack got caught in the hop. So I'd say he just was enraged after that. Yeah. Came out and had one of the games of his life. It's two tries back-to-back. So shout-out to Mac. Did you did you get to watch the game yourself? Yeah. Um, great. He's a great finisher, in fairness to him. Murray, the second row as well for Connacht. Like, we're talking about he's Thomas. He's doing well, isn't he? He's a really good he's player. Lockdown. Yeah, he's, cool. he's, a, he's a really good player. I look forward to seeing him going forward. So. Happy for Andy Friend. He's seems a really good coach. They just haven't fired in all cylinders and you'd be disappointed they left a few more points out there. But I think 
Connacht will be all right. They'll find their they'll find their groove. They're yeah. just still inconsistent, aren't they? Really, lads. Mm. They just they just need to be consistent. Even in during the eighty minutes, they can be inconsistent. They, they can do something amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as well, we we're talking about young lads and consistency. I think Keane Prendergast is starting to like he's even gotten bigger. I didn't think he you know he had another great game. He's just centre to to everything that Connacht do well. So, uh, yeah, good good win for them against yeah, Scarlets. Good good win, deserve win. Hopefully they they keep going with that now. And another little talking point in that game was Paul Boyle's yellow card. He flipped your man onto his neck. The refs came out and said it wasn't actually that dangerous, but it just doesn't look good, does it, guys? No, because he, he brought him down. He would have felt the momentum. You do feel the momentum coming. And he obviously pulled him forward out of the rook. And, um, you know, there was clear outs by other Connacht players that lifted, um, like, for the clear out. But I just thought, yeah, I, I thought it was dodgy. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure, I think he got away with a yellow, if I'm honest. What would you make of it, Ian, that kind of flipping a guy out of a rook onto his neck? It's just can't be in the game. Can't do it. No, yeah. So I think... Lindsay saying dodgy there. I think that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got away with one, got to be honest. One, yeah. yeah, they could have gone very dangerous. But uh, so Paul Boyle slapping the wrist. Don't be doing that again, fella. Um, so moving on, well done, Connacht. Uh, the Sharks Ulster game got postponed, as we said. And the other games, um, we had Zebra lost 38-19. Um, Benetton lost 44-22. Sorry about that, Ian. It's all right. Um, but they're actually playing well this year. Yeah, they won all, the they, apart from obviously the Bulls game, the Wash, the other one, all their home games. Um, I was commentating on that one, just the Bulls, just their forwards are just so powerful. And it was 22-20 with about 14 minutes to go. And I think Bulls then scored a try, which was never a try. Foot was in touch, uh, but it was given. And just Bulls power, you know, they, they did deserve to win it. And yeah, Zebre, after a good start, you know, picking up two points in the first, well, what was it, four points in the first two games, just... They just don't have a squad depth, which is just, I think, towards the latter part of the season, the middle to the latter part of the season will will start to tell with them. So that's a disappointing loss at home. Yeah, 38-19 against Edinburgh. Uh, Adam McBurney with two tries, actually. Good friend of mine, Malone Adam. Uh, Benetton doing okay, as we said. Dragons beat Ospreys 32-25 at Rodney Parade. We have... A great performance by Reese Priestland, who scored 20 points in the game and um, set up two tries, beating the Stormers 30 points 24, which is a great win because Stormers are obviously reigning yeah. champions. Um, and Cardiff um, had an unbelievable try from Theo Cabango. Did yes. you see that one? Yeah, the intercept try. You no, know, right? This is the one where. Oh, sorry, the crossfield kick crossfield by Priestland. It was unbelievable. And yeah. his speed out of nowhere and then just his little springy finish. I was like, geez, it was great. Priestland was lively. I thought, Pre- yeah, Preston had a great game. Good to see him back yeah. uh, playing well again. But I think he was going for the 50-22. It looked like Ian, didn't he? Potentially, yeah. yeah. And obviously with the hard surface, the ball bounced up. But I couldn't believe that Theo Combango got the there. Speed From where the ball was kicked. I was, How? Surely he was offside. I never, I, lightning, yeah. I rewinded to watch it. Yeah. That guy is fast. You lightning. need to set up a race against him. He'll destroy me. But I will, yeah. Anything, <laughs> anything for a bit of content. Oh, listen. Yeah. <laughs> but shout out to Theo Cabango for uh, always running after the balls for the wingers. Sometimes they come off. Um, but our never stop competing moment of the week uh, together with Bank of Ireland goes to Rio Dyer, um, his second try for Dragons. So it was an intercept try he scored against Ospreys and they were actually down to 13 men at the time and that won the game for them. Yeah, like who does that? That would be a me moment actually. i like, oh yeah, ball, 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 ball. And then they'd be like, no, you've left a dog leg and I'd probably give away a try. But yeah, <laughs> the fact that he had... I suppose you're if you're losing anyway and, and you you just have that moment, it's it's make or break. It could have went very differently, but fair play to him. He had nervous to reward, yeah. And his first try was unbelievable as well. He did the classic into out and left mm-hmm. his winger in in the 
back in his arse. So well done to uh, Rio Dyer getting the Never Stop Competing moment of the week together with Bank of Ireland. Well done, fella. Um, the Irish team was named, but we'll get on to that next week because I want to talk about the Women's World Cup very quickly with you. Yes, we have uh, finally our fixtures for the quarterfinals. So France play Italy, but a big shout out to Italy. Uh, the first Italian team to ever make a World Cup quarterfinal. So congratulations. Jada Franco has had two running well, player to match performances. It's great to see her back. She missed the Six Nations. Um, she's obviously a Queens player um, and she's just been phenomenal for Italy. So France will play Italy, New Zealand against Wales, England, Australia and Canada will play USA. That one's a big one for me, Canada, USA, because Canada absolutely annihilated uh, USA. Well, they didn't annihilate them, but 29-14 in their last pool game. But now they meet again in the quarterfinals. So so, yeah, that'll be a, a good one. But uh, I think, to be honest, right now, up until the semi-finals, probably like predictable. But as I said, I'd like to see Italy, who beat France just before they came to the World Cup. Did they? Yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to see that one as well. I think hopefully there'll be an upset and I'm hoping for the Italians. Mm. Go on, the Azzurri. Do you have any insight into that? The no, I think out of all the games that are listed there, that's probably the one that you could go to. Probably, yeah. you, you, you might say there might be a bit of a, an upset, even though France have done... They've done the, well, but they weren't clinical well. against not, Fiji, to no. be fair. Yeah. Even though the score would not allude, I think they won yeah. 4 to 4 nil. but um, they were tough L tries. They've had a lot of injuries. Mm. Um, they lost Sansus, who was player of the tournament last year with Six Nations. She's gone with an ACL injury. Um, so they kind of did rotate their squad, mm -hmm. but uh, the French are typically French. They can be you know, like fabulous or they can be kind of moody nearly. So I'd like to see the Italians um, for that upset. Mm. So Italian yeah, best luck. in a good place, obviously, in is it? Yeah, well, I mean, the women have generally been uh, outperforming the, the male counterparts and, you know, they're sort of flying the flag for Italian rugby, which is great to see. So, you know, it is a great reward that they've got into the knockout stages and played some good stuff. Um, you know, I watched the first game. Was it against was it against America, I think? Was it against America? Um, anyway, they... Yes, they did play America and yeah, they beat America. Yeah, and they some of the tries that they got were... Outstanding, as you men mentioned, yeah. Jada Franca. She's she's a brilliant player, and she's been there for years. And you know, she's well known in Italy uh, in the rugby circles. And she's you know, she's almost like the Sergio Parise of, of female rugby. You know? <laughs> yeah. So she's uh, you know, even just for her, uh, everything that she's done, it's uh, it's a great achievement. So hopefully, they put in a good performance. Yeah, fingers crossed for Italy. Um, but as it's probably as predicted, and we'll see probably England and New Zealand just kind of go through. Yeah, like England, you know, technically they struggled in the first half, and they still beat uh, South Africa seventy-five nil. But <laughs> um, like a shout out to like. South Africa, it's to um, like Lynn Cantwell is is an ex Irish player. Um, had their high performance and they've had a 12 months of just really developing South African rugby so it's nice to see the likes of South African Fiji there Fiji got their first win of a World Cup so you know there's like we said last week there's so many positive signs but I think it's predictable now and I can't really and it kills me I'm sorry but it kills me probably England are probably favourites and yeah. rightly so to, to come with it but there's still an upset in these next rounds and I'd like to see we'll where see, it's going to be we'll see how it plays out my my inkling is saying New Zealand are going to do well just because they're at, ho at home and they're playing well. So I think you're right because I think just because of the power and pressure maybe on, on England and there's been nothing, no talk really of New Zealand. They've been just simmering along nicely. Yeah. Uh, they've had two big wins against Scotland and Wales. But uh, yeah, watch this space. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, very interesting, the Women's World Cup. But that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. 
Mr. Ian McGinley, thank you so much for coming in, uh, especially to promote this book, Second Sight, Rugby and Redemption. I can't wait to read this. Appreciate it. On our third day, he's going to read me a chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Don't let my wife hear that. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. no. Definitely, guys, go out and, and get this book because it's it's more than just rugby. So it's going to be a good one, especially coming up to Christmas. Lindsay, thank you so much as always. Thank you. A pleasure as always, my yeah, friend. Yeah, 100%. And also, thank you, of course, to our partners, Bank of Ireland, proud supporters of the four Irish provinces. We'll catch you next week, guys. Thanks for much joe presents house of rugby united rugby championship together with bank of ireland proud supporter of the four irish provinces